0: Okay, this morning on the subject of death, and of course, God has, the way he does things, he's completely changed what I thought that I would, that he would have me share. And so here are some scriptures that I want to read. And I will read these to you. Okay. Here's Job the 14th chapter. I'm going to read from Job 14 and then uh, several other places. Job 14, verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 14. Job 14, verse 1. Man that is born of a woman is a few days, very short time, and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and is cut down. He flees also as a shadow and continues not. And do you open your eyes upon such a one? and bring me into judgment with you? Then he asked this question, who can bring a clean thing, or a clean one, out of an unclean? And his answer at this time is not one. He said not one. Verse five, seeing his days are determined. Notice that? The days of every man that's born of a woman. And uh, that's kind of interesting today to have to say that. Isn't that true, man? Mankind is born of a woman. (laughs) Very interesting. And uh, seeing his days are determined. The number of his months are with you. They're with God. You have appointed his bounds and he cannot pass. Turn from him that he may rest, that he may cease, rest, till he will accomplish as a harling his day. Here's verse 7. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. And obviously this is referring to Christ. Verse 8 says, As though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stalk thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud, and bring forth boughs like a plant. But man dies, and wastes away. Yea, man gives up the spirit, the ghost, the spirit, and where is he? As the waters fall from the sea and the flood decays and dries up, so man lies down and rises not till the heavens be no more. They will not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave. This is a man speaking through about all his troubles. Hide me in the grave. That you would keep me secret until your wrath be passed that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. See, he's, he's convinced that all this is, is from God against him. But verse 14 says this, If a man die, will he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait until my change come. You will call and I will answer you, and you will have a desire to the work Of your hand. For now, this is through 15 and 16 of Job 14. For now, you number my steps. Do you not watch over my sin? But yet, in verse 17, my transgression is sealed up in a bag. And you've sewed up my iniquity. Notice that? You've sewed up my iniquity. So he asks a question here number 1 who can bring a clean thing out of something that's not and in his mind with his own thoughts he says no not one then he asks the question again if a man die will he live again but then he comes up to this confession he comes up to this confession by the time he reach job 19 job 19 verse 25 says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives. See, there's the answer. If a man die, will he live again? And he will. Why? For I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though my, after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh, in my body, these new bodies we will all get, will I see God. For whom, whom I will see for myself. Notice that? Isn't that awesome? I will see for myself and my eyes will behold and not another, not a stranger, though my reins be consumed within me. And so what do we see when we look at the scriptures? We're going to look at John, the 11th chapter. John, the 11th chapter. Verse 1, it says, And now a certain man was sick. His name was Lazarus of Bethany. He was of the, t- the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary which anointed the-, the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love. See, she knew he loved him. He whom-, whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Did you know that God is glorified by the death of every single one of his that are his? He's glorified by it. There's glory in it. Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary, of course, and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. And his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not, because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. And boy, do we have light. Boy, do we have hope. Uh, One of the two men that just shared, uh, and we talked about the hope, the hope that's in us. In Colossians 1 and verse 27, it says, Christ in you, the hope, and hope there's guarantee. The guarantee of an eternal, glorious future that will never again be ever interrupted or hindered in any way. And uh, so that's what, he sa- that's what we know that is being said there. Now, verse 11 of John chapter 11, it says, These things said he, and after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps. He sleeps. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he's, he's doing well. Why, you know, why would you want to wake him up? Albeit Jesus spoke of his death because that's what the Christian, because in Romans 6, 9, he that dies once, what? Dies no more. And even the physical body is in the grave and is considered to be sleeping, waiting for the new resurrection body. And here, then Jesus said unto him plainly, Albeit Jesus spoke of his death, But they thought that he had spoken of of taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him and believe here is trust. You see? So the enemy can't cause guilt that we're supposed to do something, be something, we should have done something. No, it's just no matter where we are, we can believe in him who is the life of even that loved one that's sick. Because Christ in Colossians 3 and verse 4 is our life. And when we function in life and not confusion, not understanding death, when we function in that, then we experience peace because Christ is our peace in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. And that is why in 1 Corinthians 14 33, God is not the author of confusion. People are confused. Why are you not so overwhelmed and distraught? Why? Because there's confusion, and there's a lack of teaching, and there's a lack of submission. But in 1 Corinthians 14.33, God is not the author of confusion. Who is our author in Revelations 1.8, 11, and 17? and 22 and verse 13 of Revelations, it's Christ. He's our author. And as our author, he's our life. And as our life, it's one of peace and rest. Resting in Colossians 1 and verse 13, in the son of his love, right where God in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17 is resting. See, God can rest. And we can, because we're in Christ. God can rest. Why? Because his son was the propitiation for him. And as the propitiation for the father, he's our substitute. And we are reconciled to him and that means something that's incredible and we're going to see that this morning as we, as we wrap this up this morning. But he said again, he said in verse 15 of John 11, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent, this is my intention, by not being there, that you would trust me, that you would trust me emphatically and don't listen to another voice. Because God is not the author of confusion, but of life and peace. Who is our life? It's Christ. When I'm occupied with him, who's done away with death, and we're going to see that again, we experience the peace that he is, the peace that he has for each of us. And so he said, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us go. Let us also go that we may die with him. A lot of confusion going on here. But Jesus still loving them. I, I love this verse. And I, I remember uh, it was a couple of days ago and when I was in a, in a very intense trial. And the trial was, but the enemy was coming against me. And he even had evidence to do so. But then just God coming in and just absolutely loving me. And this is this has to do with our loved ones. This is John 13, and we're going to look at this soon. John 13, but I'll, let me finish up John, the 11th chapter. Then, so they said, let, uh, Thomas said, let us go with him, that we can die too. <laughs> and... Uh, then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it to you. Not understanding that when he had given Martha his son, he had given her everything. He had given her life. Jesus said unto her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said unto him, Martha said unto him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. And she's talking about like millennial reign, what's prior that's going to happen. Not the rapture, but this millennial reign and that resurrection in Matthew 22 and verse 30. That's what she was referring to here. Jesus said unto her, I am, and that's what he says to us. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, though he were dead, yet he will live. And whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Some of my favorite verses and some of these uh, over decades have been really some of these verses that I've referred to and having done you know, as a pastor, and done in what some people call funerals. I've done many funerals for young people, old, older people, and people that died in their prime, and and uh, as well as, as uh, many weddings, but, but uh, and just seeing them. And Song of Solomon 8, and verse 6, says this, Set me as a seal upon your heart. Remember, Song of Solomon is referring to Jesus Christ. That's who it's referring to. And he's saying, set me as a seal upon your mind and your emotions. As a seal upon your arm, so that my mind and my emotions, one with you, will direct everything you do. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which... Have a most vehement flame. You can't extinguish love. Verse 7 of Song of Solomon 8. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly condemned. Contempt, it would be polluted. There's nothing you can give but only receive it. And this is what Jesus was teaching here. Back to John 11. She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, The Master has come and he calls for you. Nothing like when he calls for us, huh? When we hear his voice in John the 10th chapter in the third verse, 14th verse, 27th verse. In the midst of all the confusing voices in 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 8, there are a multitude of different voices, but there's only one voice that would have set as a seal upon our minds and our emotions and upon our arms. And it will give us tremendous comfort. Yes, there may be sorrow for a time, but there's going to be a, as we've learned through decades ago, a grand reunion with not, which nothing will ever again for all eternity ever separate us from all of our precious loved ones so he calls and as soon as she heard that he had called she arose quickly and came unto him now Jesus was not yet come into the town but was in that place where Martha met him the Jews and what was that place what was the place that she met that that Christ met Martha the place of absolutely trusting him for everything to never leave that place because that place is love, and that's where we rest, very confident and very comfortable in his love. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goes unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come, where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit, and he was troubled. He didn't chastise them. He didn't cause them to be guilty. No, no, he groaned. He groaned for them, and he was troubled. And said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. He wept, and, and I'm sure in comfort, and, and I'm sure at times of weeping, not in a condemning way, but in a way that they would doubt his love and they would doubt what he could do for them in whatever circumstance or situation they were in. Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five. 35. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved them. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Well, we know in Hebrews 9, verse 22, it is appointed unto man once to die. It's Hebrews 9, verse 27, by the way. It is appointed unto man once to die, but then the judgment. Is there any judgment for us in Christ? None. Not for us. Because we'll see what Jesus has done. Jesus, therefore, again groaned in himself, groaning in himself, came to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of, of him that was dead, said, Lord, he's, he's, his body is rotting and he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said unto her, didn't, didn't I tell you? and can, can you just hear the tone of his voice? Not an ounce of condemnation. No legalism in him. He fulfilled the law and did away with it. <laughs> he fulfilled that that had no object, that would give no comfort, that, that couldn't touch us. Because we have a high priest who can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. And it was all points. He went through things that we went through. Yet he did it without us in nature, but he certainly had a human nature so that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy right in the nick of time in Hebrews 4. 14, because we have a great high priest in those following verses in 15 and 16 of Hebrews 4. Take away the stone. He said, didn't I tell you that if you would just believe that you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me because what was the who could answer if a man would die in job 14:14 14, 14, could he live again oh he'll live again in a most glorious surpassing way that could ever imagine that we could ever imagine and yet we'll do it with him face to face for all eternity in 1 Corinthians corinthians 13:12 he said and i knew that you heard you hear me always but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound and, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto him, Loose him and let him go. That's what Jesus did to death. He loosed it, the pains of it. He took away the sting of it. There's no sting for us, we know. Because we even shared, we shared this I think yesterday, in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1, a good name is as a precious ointment, and that ointment is Christ and what he's given us of himself to us, and given us that new name in Revelations 2 and verse 17. And he said the day of one's death is greater or better than the day of one's birth. (laughs) Because it's the entrance into an eternity where no more pain, suffering, crying, or death will ever be again in Revelation 21 and verse 4 because he wipes away all tear. Anything that would have to do with the negativity of death would be got, completely got, done away with. You see that again in Isaiah 25 and verse 8 in Revelation 7 and, and verse 17 because he wipes away every tear. Because he's cried him. He's cried him in Hebrews 5, 8, 9, and 10. But what we see here as we wrap this up here again, here, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Do you see this? It was a great opportunity. The opportunity for our loved one's death is the greatest opportunity into eternity. To be with Christ face to face forever and ever and to fill up as we've said so many times, to fill up that choir, that eternal choir. We see it in Revelations, the 5th chapter, ninth and ten verse. There are spaces that are empty, waiting to be filled with others to join in on that choir and sing the song of the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold Him. He took it away. He dealt with it all. Behold the Lamb of God. He's worthy. That's what they're doing right now. Our loved ones, they've, filled, they've gone home to be with him. They've, they've filled their place in the heavenly choir. Job said, he's given me, while I'm on this earth, he said, in Job 35 and verse 10, he's giving me songs in the night. But you know, in Revelations 21 and 23, there'll never be night again there. There's no more night in his presence because he lights it all up. There's no need for the moon, the sun, or the stars. It's Christ himself who is that light. He's lit up each individual he is that very light. But, and, and we see that some believed on him. It's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity for multitudes. This is a great, great opportunity. And uh, so we see this, finally, we see in Romans the 6th chapter, you can read that there, Romans the 6th chapter, in verse 9, he that dies once, what? Dies no more. It's just a passing through for the christian and first peter 2 verse 11 we're strangers and pilgrims we're passing through we're passing through does death in that sense what does it do watch in hebrews and we'll close with this in hebrews the second chapter hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard like we're hearing this morning (laughs) give them heed give them place less than any time we should let them slip away For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how will we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard? Now, he's talking to Christians here, by the way, not to unsaved people, (laughs) If we understand the whole preponderance of Hebrews, it unlocks the sixth chapter of Hebrews, which many have struggled over, and the tenth chapter of Hebrews. It'll explain a lot of that because it was just simply Hebrew Christians that were in Christ, born again, part of the body, and they were leaving and going right back into the law, legalism, but it was a lie of the enemy to get him in the flesh and to try and convince them there's no hope. God also bearing them witness with both signs and wonders and with with many miracles and gifts and and distributions of the Holy Spirit. That's the better word, the distributions of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For unto the angels, listen to this, unto the angels he is not put in subjection to the world that's to come, the ages that are come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that you're mindful of him? And the, or the Son of Man that you visit him. And boy, he did with his Son in John 1 14. He most certainly did visit us. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of your hands. This is what he did with the first Adam. But who was he really speaking this to? He's speaking this to Christ. You put all things in subjection under his feet. You can see that in Ephesians, the first chapter, right through to the 23rd verse. Put all things, 22 and 23, specifically in Ephesians 1. Put all things under our feet. In Christ, all things are under our feet and that includes death. Put all things, and he left nothing that is not put unto him. But now we see not yet all things under him. Oh, but when we get in his presence, and all I love was, oh boy, they'll see it. And we're still seeing it in part in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. They are face to face. (laughs) We're still in part. But waiting. But verse 9 says this, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower for the angels, And instead of for here, in some translations, it's by the suffering of death. Notice, the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor. Our loved ones that passed through death, they are now crowned with glory and honor. Isn't that amazing? That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He took the sting out. He took it out completely. He had to be stung with it, obviously but he took it out. For it became him, was everything about him, for whom are all things and, and, and bringing and whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain, the leader of their salvation complete through sufferings for both he that sanctifies. And they that are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he's not ashamed. there's no shame to call him, him calling us brethren, saying, I will declare, your name unto my brethren. I want us to think about this, that Jesus right now, as multitudes are around him, he is singing with him, the Son of God in in perfect humanity as a man, is singing with him praises to God with all our loved ones. This is what this is bringing out. I He said, I will declare your name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. See? See? For as much then as the children are partakers of blood and flesh, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For truly, truly, he didn't take on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He didn't take on Abraham's seed, the failure, the sin, nature. He took on the seed of Abraham, which is Isaac in type, which is Christ, who was born of the Spirit just like Jesus was in Luke 1, verse 35. But that's the type. Isaac is the type. It wasn't wasn't a work of natural production. It was a supernatural work of God to answer the question, if a man die, will he live again? Is Jesus alive? And is he alive forevermore? Is he? Are our loved ones alive more than they've ever been evermore? Well, he took on him the seed of a, uh, the seed of Abraham, Isaac. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. It was everything about him, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. See, it's not a sin issue in here, it's a love issue. For in that he himself suffered, suffered, Temptation, not like us with a sin nature, but with everything that came towards him. He felt that. and had a supernatural, di- divine answer. The answer was himself <laughs> in response to everything. He's able to succor, to bring those deeply and close to him that are tempted. Tempted what? Not to believe, not to have hope. Not to think clearly in, rea- in all reality. Not to think that way. But in Hebrews 9, in Hebrews 9, but in verse 11, but Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. That's the John 1.14. He tabernacled himself in humanity. He's the answer. Not made with hands, That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood poured out. He entered in once into the holy place, having having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified, set apart to the purifying of the flesh and that type in the Old Covenant as they look forward to what Christ would accomplish as those types. In finishing the work on Calvary in John 19.30, he said, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without fault, without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve and worship to serve and worship the living God. And what a a tremendous thing this is. And for this cause, in verse 15, he's the mediator, the go-between of a New Testament, that by the means of death for redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And that's what we have. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. See? For, for a testament, a will or a witness, is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is, it is no strength at all while the testator lives. Wherefore, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. So what we see all the way through here is a tremendous thing. Is a tremendous thing, and it's what he was telling them and teaching uh, his disciples and what he's teaching us in a far, far greater way, this. And this is the beauty of this. When we see John, the 13th chapter, verse 1, it says, Now therefore the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come, what was the hour? The answer to, if a man die, will he live again? He had to die so that we could all live, and all we do now in him is pass through. (laughs) We pass through. It's just a passing through. That he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in this world, in this world system, but not of it. He loved them unto the end. And what is their end? Their eternal life with him forever, having loved them unto his own. And what a beautiful picture of this. He has removed the sting, as, we, as what was shared this morning in, in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. We see this. We see this. And it's a beautiful thing. In 1551, Behold, I show you a mystery, something that, has yet, that, that hadn't been revealed to all those Old Testament prophets, something that hadn't been revealed even yet fully to Martha and Mary, or in any of those synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even in the Gospel of John, where there are hints of it, which was hinted in John the 11th chapter. He said, Behold, I show you a mystery, we will not all sleep because that's what the body does and you can see it again in First Thessalonians 4 and verse 15. The body's just sleeping because he that dies once dies no more. Death has no more sting. We will not all sleep but we know one thing. We will all be changed. And this is bringing out the rapture. So if before, before the rapture happens if we go home, we go home with our loved ones And we, uh, the spirit and soul, in Ecclesiastes 12, 6, and 7, return unto God. The body returns to the dust, but it's sleeping. Then if we're raptured, if we're raptured and death doesn't touch us, we meet them in the clouds of the air, all of us together, and we receive our glorified bodies together. We will not all sleep. We may not. But we'll all be changed in a moment. Think of a loved one's moments. What is the suffering but in a moment in his presence? Absent from the body, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Present with the Lord, face to face. Present with the Lord. In a moment, Bell Laboratories, GE Laboratories, we say it's between 11 ths and 14 one of a second. die. Boom. You want to talk about the speed of light? Speed of sound? How about the speed? That kind of speed. Trillions and trillions and billions of miles in one second. How powerful is God? How powerful is the Word? And the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so that when this corruptible will have put on incorruption and this mortal would have put on immortality, then will be brought to pass the saying, what? That is, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. <laughs> oh yeah, it was a passing, that's what it was. For our loved ones, it was a passing into his presence where nothing will ever again disturb or distract them, ever. And they're seeing him face to face. Death, death here is swallowed up in victory in Isaiah 25 and verse 8 and Revelations 20 and verse 14. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's the answer. If a man die, will he live again? Well, there's hope. If a tree be cut down, that it'll sprout again. And that's our Lord. And we, are, we are, have that resurrection life with him. And the proof of it is beautifully brought out in Acts, the 17th chapter, in the 31st verse. Beautifully brought out in Matthew 28, 1 through 6. He's not a dead one. He's not, a, he's not dead. Our loved ones in Christ are not dead. They're, and they're living. <laughs> in the most incredible way that we could even imagine soon for us too. Oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? Remember what we read in Psalms, Solomon 8, 6 and 7. The sting of death is sin. Who dealt with it? But the, and the strength of sin is the law. Who did away with that? But thanks be to God which gave us the victory. We're more than conquerors in Romans eight thirty one Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, while you wait, while you and I wait for our appointed time, In Acts 17, in verse 26 to 28, there's an appointed time, and you'll see it again in Psalm 39, 1 through 5. We have these appointed times, and we're to number our days by trusting him in Psalm 90, verse 12, for every single detail while we wait. Therefore, my beloved, and he's speaking to us this morning personally, my beloved brethren, continue to be steadfast and movable, not even by death, not the passing of a loved one. Always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. It's to no purpose in the Lord. So Father, we thank you for your amazing truth that we're more than conquerors through him who conquered death and took away the power of it. And now all it is, the death of loved ones and our death, it's just the entrance, it's the door open into an eternal face-to-face fellowship and exchange with a love that nothing will ever again be able to disturb or distract. Brought out beautifully in Revelations 2 and verse 17. And oh, how you use the death of loved ones to be the opportunity for those that don't know Christ, for those that have that do know him and are born again, but to come back to him as a living, powerful reality and have this depth of intimacy even now. Father, we thank you for your precious word, your words of comfort. You make us comforters in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5. Father, thank you in Jesus' name, amen.